Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Hi, this is Alan Monticilio, editor of The Bay. If you listen to this show, you know that we're passionate about local news, about the Bay Area, and that we love working together as a team to make the show. Well, now we're looking for another person to join this team. KQED is looking for a producer for The Bay. This person would work directly with me and with Erica Cruz Guevara every day to make this show that we love so much. This is a full-time job with benefits that will be based here in the Bay Area, and the deadline to apply is December 1st. We'll put a link to the job posting in today's episode notes, and you can also visit kqed.org jobs. I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, and you're listening to The Bay, local news to keep you rooted. Dozens of Californians traveled to Scotland for the United Nations Climate Conference, or COP26, including many Latinos, California's largest ethnic group, and a population that's more likely to feel the effects of climate change. This delegation includes some of California's most powerful people, but also activists and protesters who are pushing them to do more. We don't want to be invited to the table that we're going to be spoken over. Like, we want to destroy the table. We want to, like, reinvent it, you know? Today, California's Latinx delegation to COP26. What was interesting to me wasn't the fact that there are California Latinos at this big conference. What was interesting was this dynamic with 
the powerful decision makers, and the outsiders. Raquel Maria Dillon is a reporter for KQED. I dug up some numbers from a Pew Research Center poll that says that at least nationwide, Hispanics, which was the word they used, we don't need to get into the Latino, Latinx, Hispanics thing, um, are more interested, um, more concerned about climate change than people from other ethnic backgrounds across the country. In California, it's low-income, working-class people who live near the ports and are, you know, families who are raising kids who might be af- affected by asthma. It's farm workers who and construction workers who might be subject to extreme heat or uh, really, really bad air quality because of wildfires. It's about making sure people can live in in a changing climate. How would you describe the different layers of access and experiences at the summit? There's high-level diplomats, there's presidents and prime ministers, uh, there's environmental ministers, and just a lot of very important people. And because of COVID and everything, there's a secure center where they meet to hammer out these negotiations. And then there's sort of other layers of security. If you pay, you get a pass and you can go closer to that inner circle, but not all the way in, of course. But there's still a barrier to entry there. You have to have enough money to purchase a pass and be credentialed and and get all the way to Glasgow, Scotland. One person described it to me as like concentric circles uh, of security um, and access. And then outside of that, if you don't have a pass, but you still care about the future of the planet um, and you're interested in traveling, you know, halfway across the world, um, outside of that is where the protesters gather and um, do direct actions and uh, try to get their message through um, all those layers of security. I want to start to talk a little bit more about um, the people from California who went to COP26. Um, Let's kind of start at the top. Who were some of the most powerful people in California who went to COP26? Yeah, there's a handful of legislators. Uh, There are, you know, the heads of departments and appointees and uh, important people like Lauren Sanchez, who's the senior advisor for climate uh, to Gavin Newsom. They were all interested and excited. For some people, they have been working on environmental issues in their districts for a long time. Others, it was one of many priorities. I represent an area with uh, bad air, with dirty water. So Assemblyman Eddie Garcia, he's from the 56th District, and he represents the Imperial Valley, Coachella, all the way down to El Centro and the Mexican border. The fact is, is that much of the uh, efforts when it came to investments from our climate change policies wasn't uh, making its way to our region. He's been working on climate change for a long time. This is not his first cop, and he definitely feels the pressure because of what goes on in his district. They have massive air quality problems down there next to the Salton Sea, Um, but they also have opportunities. Geothermal plants down there. He was very excited about lithium batteries. He definitely has a stake. And we have a unique opportunity to capitalize on our climate change policies to transform the economic opportunities for the people that I represent. And I know that a huge majority of his district, too, um, he represents a lot of Latinos where he is. What did Assemblyman Eddie Garcia say about why he and others in the state government went to Glasgow? 
He said that California's role at the conference is sort of as a model. Other subnationals, subnational means like state or municipal government, look at California as like this testing ground for new technology, new regulations on uh, greenhouse gas emissions. And he says we as a state are proof positive that you can both grow your economy and regulate your emissions at the same time. The minute you tell people you're from California, you're with the California delegation, it's one of credibility, it's one of action, and it's one of, uh, of leading, right? And what we're doing in California, although for many it's not enough, and, and for others it's too much or too far, uh, in the world we're seen as the model um, when it comes to um, our efforts, our ambitious policies. Our- that model is what... Every other, you know, government in the world is trying to create. You have shared with us these varying levels of access available to Californians on the ground inside of the summit. Um, And I want to talk about the people who are kind of on the outside. You interviewed a young activist who went to Glasgow to protest. Can you tell me about Marco Lemus? Well, where this gets interesting is that some of the people who are going to Scotland really think that this whole California as model thing is total BS. I met Marco Lemus at a protest outside of BlackRock, which is an investment bank that invests in fossil fuels. Uh, My name is Marco Lemus. I'm a community organizer for Urban Tilth. And he was there uh, because he's part of Urban Tilth up in Richmond. He grew up right there in the shadow of the Chevron refinery. And that is what motivated his, his activism. It doesn't feel like the results ever reach the most vulnerable communities, even though that's what they're talking about. Like, they're just doing everything to silence us. Like, even when they're listening to us, it's, it doesn't go much places, you know. There's all these he doesn't trust the Richmond City Council. He doesn't trust the the state legislature here in California. Um, He doesn't see his interests represented anywhere. And and so for him, the only option is to march in the streets. Because for me personally, it's to highlight that the climate crisis is something that's a product of our systems and capitalism. And it's not something that we can uh, just grow our way out of and, you know, there's just so much, so many things, especially that. I mean, does he even think COP26 will achieve anything? I don't think he does. I didn't ask him that directly. I don't want to put words in his mouth. But I think growing up in Richmond, he didn't see any change on the local level. So I don't think he believes that there could be change on the international level either. It's, it's mostly a show, like a performance, like they're kind of just making sure things get swept under the rug and that they're using the language of progress to make sure that we kind of like seem like we're asking for too much, but we're not asking for a lot. We're asking to live. I see him as impatient, not in a bad way. There is urgency. And the young people I talked to in this story had so much impatience because they're going to spend their entire lives, you know, dealing with climate disasters and trying to raise a family in that. 
As we've been talking about, Raquel, there are a lot of powerful California Latinos who went to COP26, and then there are also a lot of young people who kind of feel like this whole process doesn't even serve their interests. Did you talk with anyone who felt like they were somewhere in between? One woman I spoke to was Marcela Gutierrez Graudinch, and I could tell that she was very much in touch with her younger self. I would say that I probably um, identify a lot more with the feeling of the folks that are on the street than not. But I do have to recognize that through these 10 years, I've had opportunities to have very close collaborations and effects at a level where people would certainly say that I have a big seat at the table. Grew up in Tijuana, lived in San Francisco, told me about going to protests all the time in the Bay. And now she lives in San Diego. For her... Going to COP is about channeling all of those protests into networking and lobbying. That's what works well for us. That's not necessarily what works well for everybody. It depends on what it is that you're trying to get done. I wouldn't say she's somewhere in between. She's just professionalized it, right? She has a group. It's called Azul. Its uh, focus is ocean conservation and building political power among Latinos when it comes to climate change and preserving the ocean. And Marseille has also been to other big climate conferences in addition to this one in Glasgow. Um, Has she found that these spaces are helpful for more grassroots activists or not really? Yes and no. I think going to her first COP for Marseille was like arriving professionally, career-wise. It meant that her nonprofit, which has been around for 10 years, was really making a difference and it gave her access that she didn't have. But everyone I talked to also described like the way that the setup and the high stakes, especially at COP, makes it hard to get there, quite literally. I mean, we're talking $1,000 for a plane ticket. They said it was important to have those protesters there, but it's also important to have a political constituency back home. The way that I look at this work is that there's many parts to be played and not one person ever kind of gets anything done by themselves. And so sometimes, you know, those protests are the ones that are like kind of create a political space for folks to do something. People who vote for candidates who do something on climate change and people who turn out for local protests and and people who put pressure on like school districts and local city councils and and transportation agencies to take the steps on the local level that'll reduce emissions. What has been your main takeaway from this story? That the environmental movement is changing and that it has to change in order to remain relevant in a time of global warming. It's about thinking how we can adapt our infrastructure, our economies, uh, to protect people. I asked Marce and other people, you know, what was their advice to younger climate activists? And she was like, don't burn out. You know, we just had our daughter a year ago, so now that forces you to think in a different way, right? Like, oh my God, where is she going to live in 40 years? That sort of thing. Um, But at the same time, I do think that we need to acknowledge that there is a beauty in the idealism of youth that has always been there. You know, everyone, multiple people use this cliche. This is a marathon, not a sprint. 
Talking about a big conference that goes on over two weeks makes it feel like we got to do something now. And yes, we do. But we got to do something now and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and like for the next five years, for the next 50 years. Raquel, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks to Raquel Maria Dillon, a reporter for KQED. This episode of The Bay was produced and cut by Alan Montecilio. It was produced and scored by Mary Franklin Harvin, who also added the tape. That's it for The Bay this week. If you liked this episode or anything else you heard, show us some love by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find our show. Word of mouth helps too. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Have a safe weekend, y'all. Peace. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.